0: You have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. You see on your outline that we'll be looking at this idea of watch and pray. Some of the most critical hours of Jesus' pathway to the cross are going to happen here in Mark chapter 14. So let's read these together. Let's ask the Lord to open our hearts to receive. And let's go together as we study and read and digest God's word together. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 26, and we'll go to verse 42. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all will fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, "'Truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times.' But he said emphatically, "'If I must die with you, I will not deny you.' And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, "'Sit here while I pray.' And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled." He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know how to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping? And taking your rest. It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask your help. As always, we come to your word with humble hearts, asking that you would teach us, that you would refine us and shape us and mold us every time into your image. We've come here to, to adore you and, and to sing your praises, to right-orient our hearts to who you are and who we are. And so we come over these next very few moments to ask that you lead us and guide us by your word. Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You are our rock and our Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you look back just a few verses before, last week we came together and took the Lord's Supper, and you'll be reminded that we looked at uh, Judas, who would be Jesus' betrayer. And we looked at how unique of a situation that would be, that that Judas would be with Jesus. He would see the power of all these transformed lives, that he would be right there, lock in step with the Savior of the world, he who called creation into being. He would be right there with Jesus and see all these incredible transformed lives all around him, yet Judas would still be the one to betray Jesus. We talked about the proximity to Jesus, the nearness to Jesus, the power of Jesus' authoritative teaching, and the power of being near to Jesus was not enough to change Judas' heart. And so here we see Judas in the, the concurrently happening event to what's happening right here if you get the timeline of what's happening it would be a day away from Jesus dying on the cross and I know we've been in Mark chapter 14 Mark chapter 13 it feels like we've been in the book of Mark for years because we have and so we've been in the book of Mark for a while but we've been in these particular chapters for just a few weeks but in the timeline of what's happening we're talking hours are passing Jesus is a day away from hanging on the cross so you see the urgency that's inherent in this When you read it as we have, it it feels like there's a lot of time passing, but Jesus is one day away from going to the cross. He's just had the Passover meal. He's coming in with his disciples knowing that a critical moment in his life and for the eternal stake of believers is at stake. Verse 26, and when they had sung a hymn, I just want to pause for a minute and sit in that for a second because doesn't that feel good? In this moment that Jesus is about to go to the Mount of Olives, he's about to to fall down on the ground and cry out to the Lord, let this cup pass from me. They've taken the Passover meal. Jesus knows precisely what's about to happen. He's about to be betrayed by this man who's walked beside him. His disciples are about to betray him three times. I mean, this is all happening. What are they doing? They're singing a hymn. Most likely, they're singing Psalm 118. And I want to just read it for you because I think it's helpful to recognize how sweet this is. I mean, this is why most of our service, we're singing. You know, when you walk through valleys of the shadow of death, what do we do at a funeral? We sing. When we, when we rejoice, when we're going through great times, what do you often do? You turn on some music and you just sing. You, you rejoice. Sometimes you dance a little jig because you're excited about what things are happening. I mean, music has this powerful connecting point to us. And we see all the way in Exodus chapter 15, the first song in Scripture. The Israelites just crossed the Red Sea. All this momentous joy happening in the Israelites' life. They've crossed the Red Sea after all that they've seen. Exodus chapter 15, what's the first thing that they do as they cross the Red Sea? They cross the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 15. So the people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord. And in his servant Moses, Exodus 15, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing uh, to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. Can you imagine Exodus 15, the first recorded song, but not the first song that's ever been sung. In this moment of high joy, they're singing a song of praise to the Lord. And here, this moment of deep grief, this deep heaviness, it sung a hymn. Most likely, Psalm 118. Song of David. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Think about this in context of Jesus knowing that he's about to be betrayed, that his friends, his disciples are about to betray him. He's about to hang on the cross for the sins of my sins and your sins and the sins of all the, the world. Think about Jesus singing these words in the midst of what he's about to do. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Can you imagine Jesus, the disciples, not knowing what's about to happen? Jesus singing out. What must it have been like to be in that room with Jesus? He's saying, what can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. They surround me, everybody, surrounded on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees and they went out like a fire among the thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And on and on it goes. How sweet. In the moment of the greatest triumph and in our most distressing of moments, We sing a song to the Lord. I'm so thankful that as a church, we we sing well. This morning, to hear our choir sing Amazing Grace, to hear our children sing how we need Jesus, how we look at the songs that we sing and we line them up or they're lined up with Scripture. It's a beautiful thing that as we sing here together, I'm gonna sing with everything in my soul these words that come straight from the pages of Scripture. Why? Why? Because it's scriptural for us to do it. Together as a body of believers, in the midst of whatever we have faced this past week, if it's been a distressing week, a hard week, for you to come in here and sing, it is well with my soul, even if at times you don't even think in your soul, you feel it. To say, Lord, it is well. When sorrows like sea billows roll, it is well. To hear the choir sing to you amazing grace that would save a wretch like me. That grace would lead us home. Like the prodigal son, that grace would lead you home. And so this is why. life, I love to sing with you. I love to hear you sing. And I love coming into this place singing with everything. I want to leave every Sunday night hoarse. I don't say that like, I mean that. I want to sing at the top of my lungs because you you fall in line with Exodus 15. They're crossing the Red Sea. And what do they want to do? Rejoice in the Lord for he is good. What do you do in the midst of sorrows? Sing, it is well with my soul. Even when I don't get it, Lord, it is well with my soul. And to hear those on my left and on my right sing it with all of their hearts, it takes you right back here to Jesus. Knowing that all those around him singing Would end up betraying him, but they're still going to sing. And so, can I encourage you? Let's keep singing. This morning, on my drive into work, singing. I'm not practicing preaching. I'm singing, and my voice is horrifying. It doesn't matter. Singing, Lord. Haste the day when my faith will will be brought to sight. And so let's keep singing. We see it right here. And when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Number one, you see on your outline, the sheep, they scatter. Right here in this moment, as Jesus is crucified on the cross, you see that he predicts that the sheep, his disciples, will scatter. Their courage will leave them. As Jesus endures the cross without their leader, the sheep scatter. They deny him. They're lost. Their courage is gone. Reminds me of Jesus looking at the people and having compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Scattered. Lost. Not knowing what's going on. Just just lost. I was reminded uh, our four-year-old Helen Ann played soccer last year and that's such an interesting experience to see four year olds play soccer. They had a tremendous coach, and it was always so interesting when the coach would come gather them together. He, he could get the, the kids together. I mean, we say it's like herding cats, but it is in some ways like herding cats. And he, he had just a, he and she, both boy and girl coach, they were able to somehow get them together on the field, and they could at least get them around. But every about 15 or 20 minutes, they call for a, um, a water break. And the kids would go get water, and they'd come back on the field, and you'd look around, and all of a sudden, you'd have a kid running like a mile away over there. You'd have some kids fighting in one of the nets. You'd have a couple kids on the floor rolling around in the mud. And all of a sudden, when the coach gives them a water break and looks away, all of a sudden, the kids just go wild. I mean, seriously, you looked up, and there's a kid running toward the street over here. You've got two kids fighting in the net. You've got another kid rolling around in the mud. You've got a couple kids that are just gone with their parents, ready to go home. I mean, everything falls apart the minute the coach said, hey, let's take a break. The minute the coach loses that authority, all of a sudden, all those kids run wild. The same way as the sh- shepherd is struck, the disciples begin to go wild, denying him, courage gone. But if I could peel this back to where we are in 2023, do you not feel that at times when our, our authority, our leader, our chief shepherd, ceases to be our chief shepherd, what happens to us? What happens to our culture when we fall away from the Lord and his calling, but we just, just gets crazy? You've got people running towards their death. You've got people fighting. You've got people rolling around in the pigsties of life. This is why we call people to repentance and to come back to our leader, come back to our Savior. But you see a really sweet verse in verse 28. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but... Anytime you see the word but in scripture, you usually see some good things may be happening. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. I mean, almost like the sheep are scattered, but I will raise up and my disciples will see me and they will go out in force. The resurrection changes everything for the disciples. And here is Jesus before he's going to go to the cross predicting all that would happen. And again, I want to tell you, we've been through the book of Mark and we are 14 chapters in. And at this point, if you are not seeing the divinity, the divineness, the authority of Jesus, I don't know how we could possibly miss this. Jesus healing the sick, causing the blind to see, the lame to walk, healing the leprosy, knowing incredible things before they would happen, predicting his death, predicting his resurrection, predicting the disciples to fall away, predicting them to come back. If we don't look squarely in the face of this and say, surely Jesus is who he says he is, what does that have implications for you and me? So the sheep are going to scatter. And number two, let's look for a moment at the Savior's steadfastness in 32 through 37. They went to this place called Gethsemane. And while they were there, Jesus says, watch and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John a little bit further. And all of a sudden, Jesus fell to the ground. He was so distressed, even sorrowful to the point of death. The word Gethsemane means an oil press. How fitting for Jesus to be in this place called the Gethsemane. That they would mean an oil press where Jesus is going to be crushed. If you look at how oil is made, it's crushed and pressed, and it's crushed to the oil comes all the way out. This is precisely what Jesus would do and who he would be, that he's in this place recognizing the anguish. You see in Luke's gospel that Jesus is such at the point of anguish that a condition called hematidrosis, where the capillaries would burst in his head, and sweat would be mixed with blood. Such a rare condition medically that only happens when you're in extreme anguish, in extreme physical and mental anguish and distress. So rare, it's rarely studied and rarely seen. But here, Jesus with such anguish in his soul that he would fall prostrate on the ground. Recognizing that he's about to bear the weight of the sins of the world upon his shoulders. Recognizing that in one hour his betrayer would come and take him to the cross to die a painful death. To take on the sin and the wrath of God. We just sung it a moment ago. Every sin upon him was laid. The wrath of God satisfied in Jesus. Jesus there is no way that we can feel that no way we can know what that must have been like and so there in the garden jesus falls and he cries out jesus our father if there's any other way let this cup pass from me but not what i will but what you will I believe that's the summation of Jesus' ministry on this earth. Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not what I will, but what you will. Jesus saying, Lord, I recognize that I'm about to take on the sins of the world on my shoulders. I mean, I think about giving Jesus just my sin and the overwhelming weight that that would be, but then I multiply that by the sins of the world world on his shoulders, the weight and burden that he would carry after being mocked and betrayed and crucified, the wrath of God on Jesus in a singular moment, and Jesus knew it was coming. And so for him to say, not could I skip this, but him saying, if there's any other way for your wrath to be satisfied, let it be so, but at the end of the day, Lord, not what I will, but what you will. When you look at Romans 8, 28 that we've been memorizing, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's Jesus saying, Lord, Father, not, not me, not I, not what I will, but ultimately, Lord, it's, it's your will be done. I can think of no better humble posture for the believer to take Then at the start of every day, to say, Lord, this is what I need. These are the requests. These are the things that are heavy on my shoulders. Lord, this is all that's here, but not what I will, but what you will. And that's mighty easy to say when life is going good and everything is working out and all the things around you seem to fall right in line. But when things are falling apart and sorrows like sea billows roll, friends, it is not easy to look at the face of our Lord and say, not what I will what you will. It's easy to recite these verses. That God is working all things together for the good of those who love him in a called according to his purpose. But it is hard to live in. Twice in my life, as I look back, there's those moments in my life where I have prayed earnestly with everything in me. Lord, this is what I want. Lord, this is what I need. Lord, this is everything in me. is praying for this right here. Lord, this is it. Got to have it. Lord, please, 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 Lord, this. Crying out on my knees, begging and petitioning the Lord for this specific thing. Both times the Lord did not deliver. As I look back 13 years before the first one, I see exactly why the Lord did not deliver. And I see it clearly and perfectly and I praise the Lord. Say, Lord, thank you for not delivering how I requested and wanted and begged you for it. And I can say confidently and clearly, 13 years later, praise the Lord, he didn't give me what I wanted. But the harder one is when you look back at something you have prayed for earnestly with everything in your soul and you say, I still have no idea. And you have to keep saying, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't get it. Yet not what I will, but you will. And if I, if I believe, Romans eight twenty eight that God is somehow working all things together for the good Lord, I don't understand it. And many tears can be shed because I don't get it. But I have to trust, I have to trust. And here somehow God is working the death of his son on the cross, this horrendous thing the slaying of his own son that would bring life and salvation to all. And so in this, in the brief moments we have left, I want us to see that Jesus cries out to the Lord, Lord, if if not, if there's any other way, yet not what I will, but you will. And Jesus, in the midst of his anguish, he steadfastly goes to the cross. And so last week, when we looked at Jesus saying, this is my body given for you, we recognized that in the midst of all this, Jesus knew precisely what he was doing, but he willingly went to the cross to take your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. That's part of the anguish that he felt and part of what makes what he did so spectacular that he knew precisely what he was doing and he went willingly That at any moment he could have called an angel army down to stop what was going on, but he willingly endured the cross, took every sin, the wrath of God on him was satisfied. And so this is why you can feel drops of blood falling from his eyes because he knows what he's doing. Yet he precisely went and endured the cross to take away all of your sins. This is why we sing. This is why we celebrate. This is why we say it is well with my soul because he has done it. And then we come to number three, the preparation of prayer. Very briefly, the preparation of prayer. Jesus, as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, as he falls down prostrate on the ground, and as he feels the weight of all that he's going, he calls his disciples to him and he says, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It may be one of the most sorrowful moments that I can see in Scripture, the darkest of moments in Scripture, that Jesus is calling his disciples to come to him and say, please pray, please keep watch and pray. His his other disciple is betraying him. These disciples are going to betray him soon. And here in the garden, he just says, please watch and pray. Watch and pray. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I wanna give the disciples a little bit of grace here because they've just eaten a full meal and they're tired and they're sleepy. All right, let's give them a little bit of grace. They've had a meal, they're sleepy, it's late, they're tired, and you know that they do not understand the urgency of what's about to happen. We can point fingers at the disciples and say, if I had been there, I'd be praying all through the night, you'd be sleeping with the best of them, all right? I would be too. Last Wednesday night, we took just a moment in prayer meeting, we took two minutes of quiet prayer. Two minutes. You know, it's hard to be still and pray. It's hard to cut out distractions and just simply pray earnestly. In the quietness of our it's hard to do. It's late. Jesus is anguishing on the ground. And he looks at Peter. Jesus has changed his name from Simon to Peter. And here he looks at Peter and he says, Simon. It's interesting that Jesus would call him by his previously used name, maybe calling attention to the fact that, hey, you've kind of reverted a little bit here, Simon. Watch and pray. If you go back to Mark chapter 13, Jesus giving the end times talk, he says, stay awake, watch, pray, stay awake. Your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be watchful, be mindful, be alert. Jesus gives them two words, be watchful and be prayerful. As you face temptations, as you face struggles in your life, can I give you those two words as well? Be watchful and be prayerful. Be watchful. Be mindful that you have an adversary that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be watchful. Have your eyes open. Look around you. See what's there. See what's all around you. Be watchful. As believers, you've got to have your eyes open. Be mindful and then be prayerful. As we've talked about often, prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there is no substitute. The preparation of prayer is Jesus is about to endure the cross. What did he do right before he's betrayed, right before he comes to the cross? He goes away to a quiet and desolate place and he gets on his hands and his knees and he prays. Demonstrating to us the necessity, the necessity of prayer, the preparation of prayer, the necessity for us as believers to pray. As I step back from these verses, what I see is Jesus' steadfastness and enduring the cross, and how it marvels for us to worship him. And then lastly, the last blank on your outline, just take this with you as we go. As you step away, friends, watch. Be watchful. Watch, pray, and obey. Watch, pray, and obey. When the Lord calls you, obey. What he calls you to, obey. Watch, pray, and obey. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Lord, we want to be watchful. We want to be mindful. Lord, thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Thank you that you endured the cross. Thank you that you endured for our sakes and that you took on the sins of the world and the wrath of God was satisfied that day. Thank you that it is finished. It's in Jesus's name that we pray. Amen.